So this podcast is designed to bring you inspiration, motivation and ideas for where you might go off and do your running, whether that's marathon running, half marathon running even, or particularly ultra marathons. Well, <laughs> we have got an amazing guest on, on the episode this time who's going to tell you about some fantastic, epic runs that she's done. Most of them have been... Uh, six-day events she's done 130 plus marathons and ultra marathons and goodness knows what and launched in all of this a clothing company as well so Nikki Krashina is going to tell you all about Flancy and then we're going to talk about some amazing races that she's done as well so that includes things like the amazing Marathon de Sable we don't talk too much about that but the Atacama Crossing in Chile which is a seven-day event the Mustang Trail in Nepal, which is 170 kilometers, eight stages, which you will hear her say she absolutely loves. And then she's got the Ultra Race Romania lined up this year. And then next year, 2025, she's already in for the Everest Marathon. So, <laughs> blimey, this is a lady. We could have done uh, several episodes with Nikki, but um, we've, we've cut it down. We've kept it down to one. Now, just before we go over and say hello to Nikki, I've got a couple of shout outs to do, and including one from a guy called Phil. Now, Phil, um, we spoke, I spoke briefly to Phil at the Cornwall Running Show, and uh, he was doing the ARC 50 for the first time at 60 and nearly 61, and he was a, a Yorkshire guy. Um, so, uh, But he raised £1,000 for the North Devon Hospice, and he did an amazing time of 12 hours, 18 minutes. So there you go. So well done, Phil, and thanks for being a fantastic listener. Now, if you are a listener and you've done something incredible and you'd like a shout-out, then drop me a note, podcast at trevorleemedia.co.uk. And if you are doing something or you've done something fantastic that we haven't covered in the podcast... Um, then why not come on the show and be a guest? You don't have to have been a guest on a podcast previously. It's all very easy to do. We do it on Zoom. It's very easy to book in a time and all that sort of stuff. So again, drop me a note, podcast at trevorleemedia.co.uk, and we'll get you on this show. Right, let's go over and meet Nikki and find out about these amazing running adventures and this fantastic clothing business. So Nikki, great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Now, we met uh, in January at the Cornwall Running Show. I think that was the first time we met, wasn't it? It certainly was, yes. And you, you had this amazing stand with all this fantastic, colourful clothing on there. So, so it'd be great to talk about your clothing, Flancy. Uh, and then you've also done some absolutely amazing, epic running of some oh, unbelievable stuff in deserts and goodness knows where that we've never talked about on this podcast before. So um, I'd like to pick up on a few of those with you. But tell us about, tell us about Flancy. So Flancy was born uh, just over five years ago. Um, I've been running for, oh gosh, about 35 years now. And it's always been black running kit with a little tiny pink stripe somewhere, if you're lucky as a girl. <laughs> uh, but I've, I prefer running in something called a skirt, which is a skirt with built-in shorts. And um, very difficult to get nice, colourful ones in the UK. So I was buying them from America and things like that. And um, I happened to say to Alf, my husband, that uh, one day, if we could ever afford it, I wanted to launch my own brand, and um, primarily with Scots. And uh, he, th he went along with my madcap idea. <laughs> and uh, we launched the company at the National Running Show in 2019. And Scots has been our biggest selling product ever since. So, yeah, that's how Flancy came about. And Flancy is actually an anagram of Nick and Alf, the pair of us. 
And it's in the Urban Dictionary as better than fancy, but not quite fabulous. Although we, of course, think we're very fancy. <laughs> well, that's amazing. And for listeners who... I will put a link in the show notes to your website. But for listeners who... Uh, who can't don't know are not familiar with the brand like it is massively colorful isn't it you i mean i bought a pair of shorts off you which i haven't yet you know got round to wearing but they are <laughs> not my they're not my usual black at all you know there is a bit of black in them but they are massively colorful so so how's the whole thing taken off for you then and kept on going and, and surprised you and how's that all gone well, it started off just really as a, a bit of a hobby um I was working in the corporate world um in pharmaceutical sales. And um, Alfie had retired from the corporate world, um, even the building industry. And um, we sort of were running this alongside the day job for me. Alfred retired. He was spending a lot of time on the golf course. But um, we found out within three or four months that it was becoming untenable to do corporate as well as fancy because it just seemed to just take off. People really bought into it. So I gave up the day job and started doing this full time eight months after we launched. So, yes, it's gone very, very well. Brand. And people really seem to you know, have embraced the, the brand and are loving it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the things that you offer. We Our biggest seller, like I said, is the Scort. Um, and they're a really, um, really comfortable item of clothing for wet, for girls. Although we've got a growing, um, growing band of Scorted men have adopted them as well. Um, they're the, 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 yeah, the shorts with the skirt. Um, with, they're very popular with runners, paddleboarders, tennis players, golf players, and just generally holiday because they're just so comfortable. But we also do the jazzy shorts, the double layer, your ultra shorts that you've bought, capris, leggings. Everything's got two thigh pockets and a zipped back pocket. So if you're wanting to carry gels, tissues, keys, phone, you know, they're all we've got it all on you. So if you don't like wearing a, a belt or something. And we um, recently launched our Huggle Robe, which is not a wet robe, but a very funky not a wet robe, which are proving <laughs> to be very popular. And they are on special offer at the moment for £99. I can see um, it on your website on my other screen. Yeah, fantastic. So they, they're, they're very, very popular because of the bright colours again. So, yeah. Great stuff. Now, uh, the week after the, uh, you were at the Cornwall Running Show, you were going to a, a slightly bigger show, the National Running Show at the NEC, where you say it all started. So how was that? It was absolutely amazing. I mean, I'm, I am an ambassador for the National Running Show as well, so it is one of our core events of the year. But um, this year, I just don't know what happened, but it was absolutely crazy manic. I managed <laughs> to buy one pair of running shoes, which was one of my small aims of the weekend, but it was very, very, very busy. So we had a very good show. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's incredible. It's, if you're a runner and you haven't been to the National Running Show, it is a fantastic event. Fabulous weekend. Well, I went there in 2023 and uh, with my daughter and we uh, we stayed uh, just down the road and we went on the Saturday and it was absolutely heaving then. So if it was mm. even more heaving this year, it really was heaving. So <laughs> yeah, It was brilliant. Yeah, it was a, a really good show. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, at the uh, Cornwall Running Show, there's uh, the chap there, I think you might know, who's also an ambassador of the Running Show, and I'm pretty sure he was wearing some of your kit, Mr. Edward Chapman. Yes. So we met Edward at the Running Show several years ago, actually, and I think that's where he bought his uh, first pair of flancy leggings, and he loves them. He's often <laughs> seen sporting them, and, you know, Edward's no youngster, but he's an incredibly good ultra runner, as you know. And yeah, he loves the brand, so we're very pleased about that. Yeah, great, great stuff. Well, we're we're going to mention the Marathon de Sable now. He, he, uh, his thing, of course, has been the Kalahari Desert Classic. 
Desert Classic, which I think he's still mm. a record holder for the most ever completions and certainly the most successive completions of that. So, so let's. Um, so you mentioned you've been running for a little while. So um, now you told me um, in the in the preamble when we first uh, started talking about this podcast that you started running when you were watching the Comrades Marathon with your dad and there was a bet struck or something. Tell us about that. It was actually my stepmother was training for the Comrades and um, I'd gone over to South Africa or to Swaziland, which is where my dad and stepmom were living on holiday. And um, Auntie Jean or my stepmom was running a, one of her qualifying marathons for Comrades. And I just casually said to my dad, I bet I could run a marathon. And he said, I bet you couldn't. And um, he bet me 100 rand, which is equivalent to about a pound, I think. Um, and I got back to England from my holiday, bought a pair of running shoes, entered the London Marathon from the rip-out form from Runner's World magazine, as it was back then. And, um, yeah, within a year, I'd run my first marathon. And he has never, ever paid me my wager. Oh, well, 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 well. Yeah, that's... I know. Uh, there you go. Well, that, that pound has got to have inflated quite a bit by now, Nikki. So, I would uh, think yeah. so. <laughs> so that's where it all started. And um, yeah. so you've done, what, 130-odd since? Yeah, I think it's about 132, 133 marathons and ultras in total. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's yeah, absolutely that's incredible. I think there's 45 of them, 45, 46 are ultramarathons of that 130 odd. Wow, that is just incredible. And I'm going to ask you to pick out one or two of your favourites. So, I mean, we could could create a dozen episodes from your running adventures, Nikki. There's no doubt about that. But um, we mentioned the uh, the Marathon de Sable, but you've also done a couple that I'd never even heard of. And I I don't know whether listeners have, but we've definitely not covered on the podcast. So I'm I'm interested in these that there's a there's a there's a lot of um, uh, sort of similarity and coincidence with these that they last a long, long time. So if I get the pronunciation right on this, tell us about the Atacama. Is that how you say Atacama? Yeah, Atacama. Atacama crossing in the Chile in Chile in the desert. Correct. So the company that run this race are called Racing the Planet, and they do quite a, a series of um, desert ultras, including one in the Kalahari as well, actually, although I prefer to do the one that Edward's doing. Um, they do one in the Antarctic. They do the Gobi Desert, um, Atacama Crossing, which is the one that I did. And it's the same format as the Marathon de Sable. So it's, again, it's 150 mi- 150-odd miles self-sufficient which means that everything you require for the week including all your food first aid uh, all your clothing anything that you need apart from water and accommodation i.e tent um, you provide yourself and have to carry on your back and it's a high altitude desert ultra that one i must say it's not on my favorite list (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah and what got me it was it was very 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 cold at night so we were down to about minus seven at night and then up to about 30, 35 degrees during the day. And I think that temperature extreme really, really got to me. Um, my, my spot in the tent was on the edge. And, um, you know, if I was thirsty during the night, I could never have a drink. My water bottles had always frozen solid. And, you know, you're waking wow. up in the morning. Wow. And um, it, it was bitterly, bitterly cold. And then as soon as the sun, you know, came up behind the mountains, it was baking. Gosh. And I found that quite difficult to deal with. Yeah. So when you say you, when you say you had to, you literally had to carry everything you were going to eat in that seven days. Is that have I understood that correctly? You have indeed. So everything is uh, dehydrated food, uh, things like, um, believe it or not, pot noodle, um, crush it up with a, a rolling pin, 
put it all into Ziploc bags and you know really squash it down flat. Half of your backpack is actually food, and half the weight is the food. So yeah, you've got to carry your sleeping bag, your mat, um, your first aid kits, uh, all your clothing that you need. Because obviously at night it's absolutely bitterly cold, so you need coats. Um, yeah, it's wow. backpack. I suppose weighed about eight or nine kilos with water because you've got to carry a couple of liters of water as well. Goodness me, goodness me. So how did that go for you? How did you get on? It was okay. Um, like I said, I really struggled with the cold. Um, there was one one particular day we had quite a lot of river crossings, which is all snow melt. Um, absolutely freezing. So you're in and out of water all the time. And it's freezing, freezing water. And you know, that sort of freezing that makes you want to cry. Well, it made me want to cry. And I think we had to cross about 20 times in about a couple of hours. Um but it was absolutely stunningly beautiful. I mean, it's high desert, volcanoes everywhere, um, you know, really beautiful. Um, but it was, it was hard. It was pretty tough. The terrain was generally hard-packed, um, not so much sands, but hard-packed desert, a lot of crusty, they call it frozen broccoli, which is like these plants that were just like frozen broccoli. And sometimes you stood on it and you didn't know if it was going to hold firm or if your foot was going to go right through and it completely shred your shoes if you're not careful. Wow. But, um, yeah, I finished it. Uh, feet were um, interesting, lost a couple of toenails, quite a few blisters, not as bad as my, uh, as in marathons of Sabla. But, um, yeah, we had a sandstorm, a really tough sandstorm one afternoon and all the signage blew away, so they had to halt the race. <laughs> and we had to be evac'd out to a, to an evacuation hut, basically, and spend 24 hours there, which was interesting. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> it was wow. an interesting race. Wow. But um, well. I finished it. Well, there we go, go listeners. There we go, listeners. If Nikki's uh, whetted your appetite for that, the next race is March, uh, the end of March 2025. I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well. Now, then uh, next, the next thing you told me about was the Mustang Trail in Nepal, a similar event, 170 kilometers, eight stages. Tell us about that then. That sounds extraordinary as well. This is up there with my absolute favorites. I did this event in April last year. Um, organized by a British chap called Richard. Um, he's just advertised the dates for next year, actually, and I can thoroughly, thoroughly recommend this race. It was about 110 miles, so, yeah, 170 kilometres. We didn't have to carry everything, so it wasn't completely self-sufficient. We did make things easier, but obviously you are very high up. So we flew um, from Kathmandu to um, somewhere else where I can't remember, and then one of these scary little tiny planes up, 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 and then we had, a, I think, a 10-mile acclimatization hike to the start line where we spent a, a night. Um, and then the race started. But just we were averaging between 3,000 and 4,200 metres of altitude. Um, there were about 32 of us on the start line. I think eight or nine had to withdraw mainly because of altitude sickness. Right. And there was quite a few of the runners who had to be taken down to lower levels overnight because of Ill, uh, you're feeling very unwell um, and then, you know, acclimatizing for being allowed up. But what a fabulous race. I mean, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Over the, um, I think it was six days, we had about 11,000 meters of elevation which is a lot and already at altitude. But, you know, you go really slowly. The guides were fantastic. I 
absolutely loved it. Fabulous race. <laughs> Highly recommend. <laughs> now, now, I did some research on the website for that, and um, I don't know whether this was your experience, but it says that, uh, you know, between each stage, you stay in what they call tea houses, and there's a, you sleep on mattresses, and they, they say you are offered as part of the package big, big cooked meals. So <laughs> The food was outstanding. Standing. Tea houses were very basic. Some were better than others. Um, some of them uh, were interesting, you know, having to toddle outside to the loo, um, you know, basically no toilet facilities, no showers, ice cold water. Uh, but the, the people that ran the tea houses were absolutely lovely. And we carried our own chef around the whole way with us. All the food was vegetarian, mainly because of um, not having fridges available. So they obviously couldn't have meats going off but the food was absolutely outstanding. I mean, we, we ate like kings. It was fabulous. <laughs> I've nothing bad to say about this event. It was amazing. Well, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Now, often on this podcast, Nikki, I ask people about how they prepare for things, but I don't think I've ever asked anybody how you prepare for the potential threat of altitude sickness. So how did, how did, that, how did you deal with that? Um, I, I climbed Kilimanjaro a few years ago, which was up to 6,000 metres and didn't have a problem then. Um, I've also ran the Inca Trail, which is at altitude, and didn't really have a problem there. So I wasn't too concerned about this. Um, I did take Diamox one day. We had a medic with us the whole time, and they were carrying an altitude sickness um, you know, tablets and oxygen with them. Um, one day I had a really bad headache, which is an early sign of altitude. So I took some Diamox and I was absolutely fine after that. But it's not really something can, you can um, train for unless you're going to go into an altitude chamber in this country. So you either get it or you don't. But it's all about going very, very slowly. And I think the, the some of the front runners in this event, um, there's a couple of extremely good runners, but young girls, and they were just going too fast, and they're the ones who suffered and had to be withdrawn from the race. Oh, right. So I think people like me who are back of pack, taking photographs, <laughs> enjoying yourself, because we are that much slower, you're, you're acclimatizing you know, better. So, yeah, I think that's what it comes down to. Well, we think when we've run up a few hills in Cornwall, we've got quite high up, but uh, no chance, nowhere near any of that. Now... You've got, a, you've got a big, big race coming up this year and another one for next year. I just want to touch upon those before I'm going to ask you about, you know, your kind of favourite marathons you might recommend or your ultra races that you've done. So in August, uh, you've got the ultra race Romania. Uh, that sounds like, and, and it says on their website, where legends meet. Correct. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Um, the race director I met at an event somewhere or other, and um, he said to me, you come over to Romania and do this race. And, you know, you, with, I'm one of these stupid people that you wave a challenge in front of me. I think, oh, I haven't got the challenge this year. Let's have a look. <laughs> and um, it looks absolutely beautiful. The race is in Transylvania. Um, it's, again, a six-day multi-stage stage race where everything has to be carried on your back, a bit like the MDS again. Again, it's 150 miles. Uh, this one worries me a little bit. I think it's got about twelve or 13,000 metres of elevation over the six days, which is incredibly high. But I was talking to Edward about it, actually. He's done some running in Transylvania. And he said, yes, the mountains are big, but they're not high like in Nepal. And also a lot of the... Um, a lot of the mountains that we're going up, it's a very, very gradual climb up, so you can probably hike them quite nicely. Um, also with this race, providing you just constantly do no slower than two miles an hour, you will reach the cutoffs. And now that I'm 60 <laughs> years old, I will take every single chance and every single 
opportunity to be slow that I can within cutoff. So I'm looking forward to it. Should be oh, beautiful. Well, that'll, that'll be great. And I, I, I did see on the website that there's a, an opportunity for a couple of days of tourism afterwards, including things like Dracula's Castle they mentioned and all Indeed. this sort of stuff. So yeah. Um, so I'm going over with a couple of friends and we're all taking our, the, our husbands are flying over to meet us at the end of the race. They come to the gala dinner as well. And they're also able to come to Dracula's castle. And I think we've got a Romanian dinner one night and another castle another day. So, um, yeah, um, Andre, the race director, really wants to showcase his country. So he's actually trying to make it into a bit of a holiday as well as a challenge. Right. So I think he's just so proud of Romania and really wants to encourage people to come and experience their you know, their hospitality and the beauty of their country, which is great. Well, we'll put a link for him in the show notes. And uh, I did notice, I did a little bit of research, Nikki, and I did notice that you've acquired or been given every runner's dream. You've got bib number one. Did you know That's that? Right. Yes, did you know I that? Know that. <laughs> oh, God. Is that because I'm the oldest? <laughs> well, I didn't know that. I, 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 I was doing my research before our episode recording, and uh, I looked, and there's a list of competitors. Because I'm, the other thing I noticed is that the vast majority of those who have entered so far are women. Um, and you're That's there. Correct. You're there. Zero, zero, one. There you go. Gosh. Oh, dear. <laughs> So uh, fantastic. So that, that'll that be great. And then now 2025, you're off to Everest. Yes. Well, I enjoyed Nepal so much. I just I just want to go back. My, the only disappointment with doing the Mustang Trail Ultra is it's a different valley to Everest Valley. And I've always wanted to see Mount Everest. And I've watched all the films and I've read all the books and desperate to see Everest. And then um, I was just, you know, playing around on Google and popped the um, Everest marathon I thought oh gold you know but it's it is a standard marathon it is 26.2 miles so how difficult can it be <laughs> <laughs> but no um, it's a three-week trip um, and there is eight days of acclimatization so I think the group meets in um, Kathmandu and we get flown up to Lukla which is the very frightening airport that everybody speaks about and then from Lukla We've got the eight-day hike with a couple of acclimatization nights um, or extra days penciled in to acclimatize right up to Everest Base Camp. And I think we're there for two nights. And then we just run back down to Namchi Bazaar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Well, it's great because on the the website describing it, it says, uh, yeah, the run is mostly downhill, but it doesn't mention the – well, it does mention, of course, but it doesn't emphasise too much all the hard work you've got to do to get there in the first place. (laughs) Exactly. And the start line's at about 5,000 metres or something, and they also don't mention the 500-metre climb at about mile 25. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I did notice notice this year – I know you're doing it in 2025. This year's on May the 29th, which is the 71st anniversary to the day – of the first ascent of Everest. So is it on the same 29th of May in 2025, as far as you know? Do they relate yeah, on that day it, I believe time? it's. I believe it's always on that day now. Right, it's okay. A, yeah. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, you know, what 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 an amazing that CV you've done. Now, we've only talked about three or four of the things that you've done. So you've done all these uh, huge amount of marathons and ultramarathons. So any, any, any particular favourites, Nikki, that you would say... Anybody listening to this looking for a bit of a challenge, maybe not quite as extreme as the ones we've talked about, but just a, a challenge that you know most listeners could take on board. Where would you where would you recommend them to go? Well, if we're talking big ultras, one apart from the the Mustang Trail, which I absolutely loved, the other one that I really, really thoroughly enjoyed, just purely from 
an organizational point of view and the beauty was the Grand Grand Ultra. And that's in America. And you run from the rim of the Grand Canyon to the Grand Staircase in Utah. And that's 185 miles. Again, it's a staged race. It's self-sufficient. But it is absolutely stunning. I mean, you, you spend the night before the race on the rim of the Grand Canyon. It's on a private farm, so there's no tourists. It's just you. You sit there watching the sunset, having the most amazing meal just amazing and every camp that we stayed at they tried to pick somewhere absolutely beautiful it was just one of the most stunning stunningly fabulous events i've done um yeah google it so it's the grand to grand ultra fantastic right. I'll put and in, i highly put recommend that and i think if anyone who's reasonably fit providing you do some training um you don't necessarily have to run the whole thing you can still complete if you just hike but hike quickly it's it's wonderful absolutely wonderful and uh for Normal ultra marathons. I've done the Comrades in South Africa four times and completed that four times. Yes, it's road. I don't like road much, but as far as road ultras go, I mean, it's iconic. I mean, it's probably one of the most iconic ultras there is. Absolutely fabulous atmosphere. Um, the Africans really do know how to look after the runners. It is just amazing. Fabulous, fabulous run. So that's another one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the comrades. We we had a guy on uh, which Edward uh, Chapman uh, introduced me to, called Trevor Nell, uh, back in uh, cool, must have been three years ago now. He'd run the comrades. I think I can't remember whether it was ten or eleven times. It was enough times to where you get this, where you get the same Green number, number each year. Yeah. 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 Green number. Green number. That was it. Yeah. 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 So that's fantastic. What about the UK? Do you do you actually do any running in the UK or? I do. <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. Well, again, I'm not into road running anymore. My hips and my knees don't like it. But, of course, the London Marathon. I've been lucky enough to do it nine times. And um, I've done quite a lot of city marathons, you know, New York, Dublin, Amsterdam, Paris, Athens. Uh, and out of all of the city marathons I've done, London is by far my absolute favourite, purely from an atmosphere it's just amazing, and I'm sure quite a lot of your um, listeners have obviously done London. I also absolutely loved the Loch Ness Marathon and also oh. Erie, and I'm doing Erie again this year. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Well, it's, it's interesting that because I did Loch Ness in 2022, I think it was, um, and um, yeah, I didn't see the lock for the first six miles, and I found it a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a lonely old vigil because I must admit that if I'm running a long distance, I I kind of like the crowds there to give you a bit of encouragement, you know, and there didn't seem to be anybody on, on, no. the, on, the, on the route at all, you know, the occasional person, yeah. you know. So, uh, but the, the, uh, you did get cans of soup for afterwards, which was kind of you good. You did, so, uh, yeah, that's the soup. <laughs> that's right, yes. I really enjoyed that one. And the other ones, um, there's a company down in Dorset called White Star Running, and I absolutely love their events. So if you're a... Ah. Somebody wanting to step into um, ultra running or just want to push and see how far you can go, White Star to do some cracking events. They're all trail. They're um, usually on the most beautiful estates. Um, really fun weekends. And you know, they are all inclusive. They're for anyone if you're a beginner and just want to test yourself. They're, they're fantastic events. I do quite a lot of theirs. Yeah. So... With all your experience of running, Nikki, uh, there'll be people listening to this podcast, to, you know, because part of the reason for this podcast is to, uh, you know, persuade people, inspire them, motivate them to think they could take on their first big run, whether that's a marathon or an ultra marathon. 
What would you pass on in terms of a couple of tips that, uh, based on all your experience, for for relative novices in this uh, in this area? Um, have a go. If you want to do an ultra, have a go. There is a company in Wales called Pegasus Running, and they um, do a whole series of ultras. In fact, I'm doing one in April called the Canham. They have no cutoffs. It's a 40-mile race, but they are there for people who really want to step into ultra running. So do a race where you don't have a strict cutoff so that you can actually go there, push yourself and have a go. Try it. See if you like it. Um, I always go as well go to enjoy it you know open your eyes look at the scenery take your camera take photographs it's gonna hurt ultras are a long way (laughs) it's gonna hurt but go with the right attitude take some painkillers train and absolutely enjoy it and make sure you eat ah yes yes eat yeah good idea yeah any 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 things that you uh apart from the uh the crushed up pot noodles anything that you uh (laughs) is your go-to uh preferred eating thing um, I, I always, I prefer savory to sweet. Um, I don't like gels. I prefer solid food. So if I'm going to be doing an ultra or a long training run, I tend to take things like Marmite sandwiches, mini cheddars, pepperami, salted peanuts. Um, in my bottles, I like something called active root, which is a ginger based, um, isotonic, I suppose you'd call it. Uh, it's got everything that you need in it. But being ginger, it's not too sweet. It's easy on the tummy and it's very palatable. So I tend to have active root in my bottles, water and you know, as well. And then you know, I prefer the salty snacks, but everyone's different. Some people prefer the sweet. I find if I'm doing a really long run, this, I get to a point where I cannot face sugar anymore. So I always think it's good to have a mix of things. I usually have a chocolate bar on me in case I'm feeling something, I want something sweet but I tend to veer towards savoury. But I think it's really important. Take something along with you that you gonna that you like, you like to eat, because if you don't like it and you're doing a long run, you ain't going to eat it, and that's when you're going <laughs> to run into trouble. So take stuff that you like. <laughs> Nikki, that's, that's, that's absolutely great. So um, uh, I'm thinking now that it would be fabulous if we can make it work. Uh, when you get back from the ultra race in Romania that we... We get touch base and get you back on, and uh, you can tell us all about your adventure and uh, see whether uh, bib number one came in number one. <laughs> oh. <laughs> one from the back, probably. But yeah. <laughs> well, you know these races; they usually reserve like their first few bibs for the top stars. You know, so everybody will be looking at you, going, "What? She must be bloody great. If she's been given bib number one." But that—that's what it says <laughs> on the website. So uh, anyway, that may. Uh. But anyway, there you go. So. Fantastic, and best of luck with the you know the continued development of the clothing. Uh, and I'll put a link to Fancy in the uh, in the you. show notes and, and all the other races that you've talked about. So, well, what a, what an amazing experiences you've had and you're going to have. So fantastic. Thank you. Yes, lots of exciting things. <laughs> well, the best of luck with them, um, and go out and as you say yourself, go and enjoy them. So there we go. I will. Thank you very much indeed. It's been great. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you. Thank you. Right, so there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's the end of episode 140. Now, has that inspired you? Flipping. <laughs> when I was doing my research for Nikki's episodes, I was looking at the websites, which I'll put in the show notes for these events that we talked about. And um, wow, it's pretty scary sitting in your office chair looking at the websites, some of them. Blimey. I mean, you've got, you've got well, as Nikki said, you've just got to have a go, haven't you? So uh, go have a, have a go and enjoy it. But Crikey, if that's inspired you to do anything like that, or you've done, or you may have even done something similar, 
then come along and let's talk about it on the show. So that would be amazing. Now, in the next episode, which will be number, uh, where are we, 141, I've got Mike Samuels. Now, Mike contacted me. He did the Ark of Attrition, and he was crewed by my friend James Skeplorn. And Mike had a fantastic run. Uh, He came in in under 24 hours, and he beat his previous time from the year before by three and a half hours. But what really caught my eye, because I've had a lot of people want to come and talk about the Ark of Attrition, and I've you know, had to say, this is not an Ark of Attrition podcast in itself. We cover it, yeah, but we've got to cover lots of other things as well. So anyway, what he really came on to talk about was the relationship between powerlifting and ultra running. So that's the episode that's coming up next. So it's Mike going to talk about powerlifting and ultra running, how, the, how he started in both and how the two came together and how he's convinced that the, uh, the, all the gym work he's been doing in that powerlifting has helped his ultra running. He's got a few tips for you if you're not doing any strength work at all on how to do that and how to get going. So that's the one coming up next. If you do like the show, please do leave a review or a rating. You can easily do that via your podcast app. That would be fantastic. So that's it. See you next time.